Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Reconstructing Inclusion podcast. Also, if you haven't bought Reconstructing Inclusion, Making DEI Accessible, Actionable, and Sustainable, my book, please pick it up. We also have a Substack now under the name Reconstructing Inclusion. I'll be putting more content on that Substack before you know it. Greetings. Welcome to the Reconstructing Inclusion podcast. This is Omri Johnson, your host. A few things have been going on in the world of DEI, mostly focused on the U.S., but of relevance globally because the U.S. is influencing DEI practice in a significant way. It has for a long time. Some would say the U.S. influences DEI practice around the globe too much. And others say that it's done too much and toward a less positive impact. There is another group who are squarely in agreement with the stances of many U.S.-based DEI practitioners. A tangential side note. One so-called influencer responded to me in a LinkedIn thread and said, in the U.S., where I'm based, we dot 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 blah blah blah. <laughs> For an American living abroad, it was strange. I feel more American than I've ever felt in my 50-plus years or trips around the sun. I'm quite tangential, tangentful, perhaps, if that's a word, so I'm going to stop there. But think about that. Somebody said, for an American, somebody said in the U.S. where I'm based, we, as if I'm not American. I'll stop there. So what's come up recently? that I'll talk about in this episode. DEI is under attack. There are a few reasons why people are saying this, a lot of them political, but I'm gonna talk about at least three. One, the affirmative actions, decisions of the Supreme Court of the United States, along with the case on LGBT rights. Second, DEI leads are resigning. The number of DEI roles have decreased. And then the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, he has several things that he's done recently, particularly talking about slavery. I'm going to go into a little bit of all of these, and then I'm going to end with Chicken Little. Stay tuned. So let's start with the LGBT rights. They were struck down for religious interest. If you're not familiar here, here's a quick TLDR. Woman refuses to build a website for a gay couple's wedding for religious reasons. They sue under Colorado law. It reaches the Supreme Court. They say it's within their First Amendment rights. Can we disagree with the ruling? Sure. Is it wrong or right? Is it wrong to you? You're right. Is it right to others? They're right too. My take, if I build websites, I can serve who I choose. If a gay couple wants a website and they're willing to pay my rates, which would be very high because I would make fabulous, best quality websites, I'll serve them. For somebody else, I might choose not to. Anybody who builds websites can choose. Their reason is theirs. My belief 
in my website building, if I happen to be a great website builder, which I would, or a cake baker, because there's been a previous case around that, I would want to build them for everyone that wasn't evil. And for the other case, the SCOTUS that wasn't evil. And for the other case, it was about SCOTUS striking down affirmative action in elite universities. I've done a couple pieces on it, and I likely won't write or record much more going forward. If it is a podcast or an interview, yes, I'll talk about it because I welcome the dialogue, but I think I've made my sentiments clear. Here's what the SCOTUS did, or here's how I feel about it. I'll put it like that. The overreaction to the affirmative action decision irritated me. Here's a bit of what I wrote in my substat. For those committed to making DEI accessible to all, actionable, meaning unambiguously prioritized and sustainable, meaning purpose aligned, which I assume all practitioners, passionate and pragmatics are, I think it's necessary to do the following as we think about what's next now that race-based affirmative action is no longer a thing for higher education. Three things. Deeply explore the history of affirmative action, including a full reading of the entire SCOTUS decision. Two, consider who benefits from a conversation that pits so-called affirmative action supporters and opponents against one another. And three, be in dialogue about the potential agential shifts possible due to this ruling. First, deeply explore the history of affirmative action, including a reading of the entire SCOTUS decision. If you have not read that entire decision, I very much recommend that you do so. Here's what I said. If we are ever to go beyond responding to racialization with interventions that reinforce racialization, even with positive intent, the notion that the racialized require perpetual supplementation could quietly grow into or reinforce the subtle resentment often interpreted as micro-inequities or institutional racism. Yes, I know this is ridiculous, but some people either explicitly or implicitly hold such a belief. When in a classroom with a brown-skinned person or talking to their children who occupy these elite classrooms in elite universities, they have a cognitive blip that associates a skin tone with a mathematical less-than symbol. Read the entire decision. Think about this beyond your rage. Think about this beyond your belief that affirmative action was never necessary. Think about it beyond your belief that this is going to erase years of equity because it is not unless that's what we choose. Next, consider who benefits from a conversation that pits so-called affirmative action supporters and opponents against one another. One social media influencer who is a DEI lead for a well-known brand said about the SCOTUS ruling, quote unquote, this particular ruling has so many implications one of those includes the continued hate between Black and Asian communities in this country. A few ignorant people become the representative of an entire group. This happens on both sides. 
No doubt, our Asian colleagues will experience an increase in anti-Asian hate. This, and they capitalized of the plan. They continue. If we are fighting each other and focusing our rage on each other, we don't spend our time focusing our energy on the folks who are the architects of the current state of our society. We cannot, and they emphasize cannot, thus I said it so loudly, fall for this trap and thereby do the work of white supremacy for them. If we don't see this now, we are doomed to continue failing. <laughs> I had to hold back on fully responding to this directly in the comment section of this extremely vapid notion. It's incomplete as they come. These chicken little sky is falling platitudes do not advance racial equity. They might feel good and release a potent dosage of dopamine if read on your social media feeds and timelines. However, their value beyond that is little, or shall I say minimal. Who are these folks that they're talking about? What is the plan? If anti-Asian hate grows, who will be the perpetrators? Lastly, be in dialogue about the potential agential shifts possible due to this ruling. Those who claim that the next stop for affirmative action abolition is companies and eliminating anything related to equal employment opportunity in companies, if they broadcast memes of SCOTUS members in Ku Klux Klan robes and generally embellish with brazen certainty about a bleak future, they're wasting time. Many people are considering the perpetuity of their current systems and have maintained the status quo for racialized and marginalized people. These status quo engines, which in ways I think Harvard is one, in part have been preserved because there was no compelling political impetus to push such systems into disequilibrium. The relatively narrow decision opens a dialogue toward a set of potential solutions, a set of experiments to shake up what has been running on autopilot for decades. We've known this was coming. We now have to think about equity in the way that equity needs to be thought of upstream. My final thoughts from my substack. In your exploration, detach from your predominant narrative or brand. If only for one fortnight or a couple of days, engage in a thought experiment about the pros and cons of affirmative action in elite universities. Explore what the implications are for organizations where most of us practice. While I've stated my impatience with platitudes and dopamine-inducing posts, I understand that they're necessary. I don't think they're very effective if seen as a strategy. So, say your piece and get to work. Create a few hypotheses about the future of positive-slash-affirmative action. And for the things that you can influence, start a dialogue with your organization about how to test your hypotheses, the ones you feel can make DEI accessible to everyone, unambiguously prioritized and purpose aligned. Whether the focus of your practice is anti-racism, equity, talent, diversity, etc., push for equity. Equity starts upstream. 
as this decision will have implications downstream. What could be done in advance for the future workforce at the proverbial mouth of the river? I'm going to switch now to DEI practitioners leaving their jobs. A lot of DEI practitioners stay in their jobs about two years. I have some philosophies about that. I also have philosophies about DEI practitioners that stay in their jobs for much longer. Most of them are really good. And they make change because this is all about change management. It's all about change communications. It's all about creating impact. It's all about building this in to the mindsets and skill sets of the people so that it can be perpetuated. The DEI officer is really a facilitator of that. They don't drive all of it because they can't. They know they can't. They need to be able to do this in a dance with the many, not come in and be a hero for a few or spend a lot of time talking about all the awards that they won on social media. And then 12 to 18 months later, go get another job at another big brand. The people that are doing the work well, they stick around. So I'm not super concerned about these numbers going down. When something goes up, what some reports have said, as much as 170% since 2020, since the murder of George Floyd and the reactionary stance that a lot of organizations took, now it's gone down by you know, 5, 10, even up to 30%. I'm not generally concerned about that. And that just means they've slowed down. It doesn't mean all these people have left their roles. The data readouts are incomplete and they're mostly US-based. So I think we're overreacting to this a bit. If I see this a year from now, two years from now, maybe I'll say, oh, well, maybe there's some really veracity, some legitimacy to these reports. But a lot of them are just us reacting, feeling like somebody's going to attack and level the EI. Diversity is not going away. It's actually increasing in every single organization in a number of ways because we're always changing and shifting. Our identities are morphing. The way we interact with work and the world and new technology is morphing. So diversity always exists. If we want to be mindful that we're not missing something in terms of sharing of information, in terms of making sure people get what they need to thrive in terms of actions that bring all mindsets, voices, perspectives into the conversation because you need them to be successful in business. If you think organizations are going to quit doing that, I'd say let the ones that want to do that stop. Some of them will just not call it DEI, but DEI is not going anywhere. DEI, huh? is it under attack? Mm, I don't think so. But let me go on. Dr. Jonathan, or Dr. Jonathan Ashong Lamptey, another really amazing influencer on social media, particularly on LinkedIn. He said this, DEI budgets are being cut, but no one talks about the obvious reason why. It's not sinister, and it makes complete sense to me. It's beyond backlash and fatigue. In another post, he says, DEI officers are losing their jobs at an alarming rate. I'm certain that plenty of them had it coming. You know who I'm talking about. He goes on, the grifters, the chancers, the rhetorically inclined. They pretend to create an impact, 
but they created confusion. They're getting found out. My work brings me into contact with the damage they caused along the way. Don't ever forget, they filled a position that could have been occupied by someone who could have done some good. Someone with a plan, not just passion. Someone with competence, not just charisma. Someone creating opportunities, not just taking them. What bothers me is that casual observers can't tell the difference between the fake leaders and the real ones. They think all chief diversity officers are grifters. This is not true. This makes it harder for the people left behind. This makes it harder for the people legitimately interested in inclusion. Let's get behind the real ones. I agree with almost everything that Dr. Jonathan wrote, except the point that, quote, they are getting found out. Many people that entered this space since the murder of George Floyd are grifting. Some have a huge following on social media. They post memes and videos about discriminatory incidents and via likes and affirming comments, get huge amounts of confirmation. What they don't seek out is disconfirmation. And because very few in the DEI space seek out what Dr. Jonathan would frame as evidence-based feedback and what I would call rigorous truth-telling, naked, unashamed, honest reflection, they make themselves, their work, and the field of DEI vulnerable to vapid, oftentimes political attacks. I ask for the umpteenth time, because I ask this question a lot. I even ask it in Reconstructing Inclusion. Are you willing to be influenced by the so-called other? That is, are you not defensive, not self-righteous, not seeking to be right? It's never transformed anything. Not vitriolically and fitfully dismissive with a heart of cancellation or annihilation, but that you are caringly open, even in disagreement? Are you willing to be influenced by the so-called other? For me, after doing this work for more than 25 years now, I've been in, involved in some degree in working toward equity since I was about 19 years old, I'm older than that now. I said earlier, I've been around the sun at least 50 times. In college, I worked on HIV, AIDS, prevention, and awareness. There were a lot of closeted men at my college, a lot of closeted men in Atlanta, in the city where I live. You probably heard they were on the down low. So we did some education on campus. We said, don't sleep until you get the facts. Kind of like, stay woke until you get the facts. I've done this work since then, all the way through leading DEI efforts as an external consultant, then for the research division of a large pharmaceutical company until today, working with global clients via my company, Inclusion Wins. So here's a little advice to DEI practitioners and the firms they serve. Let me use an analogy. If you live in a place that floods regularly, a lot of insurance companies have stopped funding flood insurance. Some people were able to get it when they did fund it. 
imagine that you still have flood insurance and live in a floodplain, and you decide in the middle of the biggest storm season you've ever had to drop your flood insurance. When things are difficult in organizations, don't eliminate the thing that contributes to working through the challenges at hand. Holding back on DEI right now is like getting rid of your flood insurance in the middle of a storm. In terms of the organizational investment, DEI is minor. If it's among cuts, there's a few things that probably aren't happening right now in your organization that you want to take a look at and you want to correct. First, you haven't made the impact clear or you're not clear on the impact. That's around people, processes, certain outcomes related to your organizational purpose or mission. So impact is not clear or you're not clear on impact. Second is communication. Let's say that DEI is making an impact. Is it being made clear how? A lot of people talk about data. Many do. We talk about that a lot. You need it. But having the data and not telling stories of what it's revealing and who it's revealing it for, who it's informing, what it's informing, who it's changing, what it's changing for who. And for many, if you're not talking about for who and, for, and what, for them, for a lot of people, I'd say, it means it doesn't exist. So you have to communicate about this and you have to communicate about it and you have to communicate about it more. And if your communication seems like you don't have ample stuff to communicate about, it means that you're not working in a systemic way. And that means that you have to go back to the drawing board because you've probably only done something like some trainings or some dialogue sessions. And that by its nature is self-limiting. DEI to be successful has to be steeped in systems thinking and systems ways of practice. Now, third, if the impact is hard for you to articulate, or if you're seeing evidence of your success and communicating about it, in both cases, if DEI budgets are being considered for the chopping block, the likelihood is that you've not made sense of DNI with the influential people in your formal and informal networks. DEI has to be accessible to everyone. That means you need to do sense-making with as many people as possible about what it means and contributes to them, or it will be susceptible to slash and silly attacks. So let me repeat these three points quickly. Impact. Make sure you're clear on your impact to people, processes, and outcomes. Communication, communication, and communication clarity about who and what you're seeing, what's being revealed, what's being informed, and who is changing and what is changing in the organization to make sure people understand that it exists. And thirdly, if you can't clearly articulate impact or if you're seeing success, it's possible that you haven't done enough sense-making with the influencers in your organization. This brings me to 
my final two points. Ron DeSantis and Blacks benefiting from slavery. Florida governor and Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis doubled down a week or so ago on these new rules that his Board of Education has put forward for educators to teach that enslaved Black people develop skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. That was a quote. Now, this was extremely silly. Ron DeSantis knows it's silly, but some people in his base believe him so much that he doubles down on it because he loves the reaction. And you know who's reacting? DEI people. They're reacting by putting up memes. I saw a meme the other day and it said, and it was a black background. And it, I think I've seen it a bunch of times since. It said, slavery did not benefit black people. And so this meme was getting thousands of likes on social, on, particularly on LinkedIn and probably on Twitter. And I was like, you know what? He is excited that you're doing stuff like that because he said something silly and you amplified it. And now everybody's on Google or what have you looking up how slavery benefited black people. And they probably saw a quote from an economist, Walter Williams, that said slavery probably benefited American descendants of slavery more than anyone else, because otherwise we would have been in African countries that are pretty poor that wouldn't put us in the same position that we would be in America. Now, you know, Walter Williams was known for saying controversial statements like that. And in some ways that he's right, that people that are American descendants of slavery have it much better than some people that are living in pretty extreme poverty in, in parts of the global South. But slavery didn't benefit black people and everybody knows that and there's no reason to put a meme up for it. So American descendants of slavery, as we know, our ancestors have experienced some horrific conditions and some of us have experienced pretty violent attacks, even to this day. But many of us who are, are reacting to the vapid rhetoric of a desperate politician are playing into his hand. He wants attention. We're giving him exactly what he desires. I believe we should stop. I think we're only speaking when we get all these likes and comments. It's similar to the dopamine-inducing post that I saw um, before when people were reacting to the affirmative action case, it's not getting us where we want to be. It's not helpful. But, you know, likes feel good, so we do it. But it's not anything that's going beyond. It's mostly us speaking to people who already agree with us. So we're giving him exactly what he desires. That brings me to the 1943 Disney cartoon Chicken Little. It's the original version. We'll put the link in the show notes. Chicken Little was a parable to tell people not to believe the sky is falling. Chicken Little was the silliest or stupidest chicken in this chicken coop. It was like a chicken coop city. And the fox was trying to get the chickens someplace where he can get to them so he could eat them. So he preyed on Chicken Little's lack of intellect by hitting him in the head with a piece of wood. And Chicken Little began to think that the sky was falling as the fox was whispering that into his ear. 
It's a parable to tell people not to believe the sky is falling because when you believe in tricksters, you end up influencing people to voluntarily end up in the fox's den and be eaten. And that's exactly what happened to Chicken Little's community in that short film. It's worth watching. The sky is not falling on DEI. Don't believe that affirmative action, DEI resignations are indicators of some bleak future, nor should we be drawn into distractions of fox-like politicians. Again, watch the video. When we have a great deal to do to create organizations and communities where inclusion is normative and everyone feels like they belong. As Gil Scott Heron said, the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. When DEI starts getting attacked, if that's absolutely happening, it means that we're doing something of significance. You need these types of times to get pressured into taking things to the next level. That's the opportunity we have right now is to take DEI to the next level. Not to be scared, not to be chicken little, but to evolve this work in a way that creates the extraordinary. To evolve this work in a way that takes it to the level that we know that can make it accessible to everyone, unambiguously prioritized and clearly aligned with the organizational mission and purpose. That's what I'm here for. I'm here for you to make that happen together. So I hope that was helpful. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, my Substack, And if you haven't bought Reconstructing Inclusion, love to hear your thoughts about it after you do. Make it a great day. Peace. If you are committed or simply a little bit curious about how to make DEI accessible to everyone, actionable, that is unambiguously prioritized and sustainable, aligned with personal and organizational purpose, hit the subscribe button. Make it a great day. Peace.